Let's open our Bibles to the book of Job, the 33rd chapter. When we finish Job, we'll get into the Psalms. I want to teach all the way through the Psalms, and we'll teach one probably or two each time, and uh, so we'll look forward to that. For those of you that have not been here, there's some that have not heard our lessons on Job. you remember Job started out and... Uh, Satan wanted to destroy him. God permitted him only to go so far. But the Lord did permit Job to go far enough to take all of his family and and all of his possessions. And his wife turned to him and said, Curse God and die. He was smitten from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with sore boils. And then his three friends come along, supposed to be comforting him. And they stand and they sit before him seven days and seven nights and do not speak a word. That would be bad enough to have loss of everything and you have three friends that come up there and just stare you in the face for seven days and seven nights. And then finally when they open their mouths, each one of them takes their turn. There was uh, Eliphaz and uh, Bildad and uh, Zophar, these three friends. One, the voice of experience, the voice of tradition, and the voice of legalism. And they all took their turns in condemning Job and telling Job that he... One of them says, Job, I know that God only punishes sin, and so you must be a great sinner, and so you're getting less than you deserve. And can you imagine that With, in him, his situation? And then we find that this last one that has come on the scene uh, in chapter 32 was Elihu. And uh, in chapter 32, verse 2, we find him coming on the scene. And he's continuing his speech. We studied what he said in the 32nd chapter. And now we're in chapter 33. And we got down to verse 5, but I believe it would be well if we'd go ahead and pick up with verse 1. So let's pick up with chapter 33, verse 1. And Elihu seems to be the man in God's uh, stead. And he is the one that speaks that which is more advisable to Job than the others. And yet he does bring some condemnation to Job. We'll find that he condemns Job for uh, uh, really criticizing God in some ways or trying to uh, complain against God when he doesn't understand the workings and dealings of God. And uh, that's his only real complaint to Job, which is more justifiable than all the others have said. And he seems to be one that can really speak to Job and get through to him that though Job was a good man in every respect, yet he could not contend with his maker. And that's where you and I have to realize that we may try to live right and do right and do the very best we can, and yet when we see God in all of his righteousness and holiness, we certainly feel very small, don't we? And we cannot contend with God's purposes or or, uh, God's uh, chastening or God's way of dealing with us. When something happens to us, we really have to accept it as as God's permissive will at the least, and sometimes his direct purpose in dealing with us. And so Job here is being answered by uh, Elihu, and uh, we'll begin reading with verse 1. And as I say, it'll overlap about four or five verses for those of you that have been listening. So he says in verse 1, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches, and hearken to all my words. Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue has spoken in my mouth. If you'll remember that Elihu said that he was just uh, burning with inside to, to speak, that he had waited and he had listened to these others, and now that uh, he was just ready to speak. And uh, so he says, my, mouth, my tongue hath spoken in my mouth. My words shall be of, of the uprightness of my heart. 
He says, Job, I'm going to speak to you from my heart. And he says, my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Don't you like someone that will speak clearly and tell you exactly what God's word has said? We find in the Old Testament that the Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Habakkuk, that he says, uh, it is written so that he that readeth or runneth may read it, that the runner may read it. The man on the run can read and understand. And if we uh, want to hear something that God has to say, we want it to be very clear, do we not? And so it says in verse 4, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So he's uh, referring in the first part to his actual physical condition that God has made man, not only in general and by creation, but he says the Spirit of the Almighty, the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. And so we find that he is a man that has inward life given to him of God. Not only the physical life, but he has spiritual life. In verse 5, if thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me. Stand up. He says, Job, if you have anything to say now, here's your opportunity. He says, you get your words in order and stand up. Now, Job had already listened to him quite a bit. And so it seems that like Job at this opportunity had nothing to say. He's just going to let Elihu go ahead and speak. And he says in verse 6, behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed out of the clay. He is saying that he was made out of the clay. Formed means pressed together out of the clay. God pressed Adam together. He made us out of the clay. Of course, we know that he, he uh, constituted a natural uh, generation and, re- and uh, perpetuation of uh, his people through uh, Adam and Eve. But each one of us are of the clay and of the dust. And he says, I'm formed or pressed out of the clay, just like you are, Job. But he says, I'm according to thy wish in God's stead. What did he mean? If you remember, Job had longed for a day's man or a mediator. He said, uh, oh, if there were a daysman, if there were one that could lay hands on both of us and bring us together. And he says, if, if God would just send a man in between us that could take God's hand and my hand and bring us together. And so he's saying, I'm that intermediate man. I'm that daysman that you've desired. He says, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I am the ambassador, the man appointed by God to, to, to come in between, to mediate this situation. Paul, of course, was the apostle to the Gentiles. The Bible tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. As, go, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in God's stead, be you reconciled to God. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're in the place of men that try to represent God and represent men as preachers and as Christians and as witnesses. We read that this morning, I believe. We're ambassadors for Christ. And we're in a position to cause others to try to be reconciled to God. We try to tell them what they need. We tell them what God expects of them. And that's our business as well. But this man felt especially in this uh, place as far as Job. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed of the clay. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. These other friends, do you remember these other friends of Job? Man, they just came down hard on Job on every turn, didn't they? And Elihu had sit there and listened to them. And he says, my terror shall not make thee afraid. He says, I'm not going to try to, to condemn you on every hand. And he says, uh, 
Furthermore, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words. He'd heard Job and, uh, saying, and this, this is what Job said, and what Elihu had heard. He says, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. So he heard Job say this, and he also heard him complete in verse 10. Behold, he findeth occasion against me, he counteth me for his enemy. In his complaint, he was saying that God was uh, coming down upon him too hard. He wasn't understanding God, and that's what Elihu wanted to get through to him. Job continues, He putteth my feet in the stocks, he maketh all my paths. Behold, in this thou art not just. Elihu says, Now listen, in this that you've accused God of, thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Now then, Job had plenty of reason to complain about his friends because they were condemning him on every hand. But... Elihu is speaking right straight forward, isn't he? He says, now look, Job. He says, you've complained against God. You've, in verse 10, behold, he findeth occasion against me. This is what Job had said. Remember back in verse uh, 8 through 10, he says, surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying. He's saying that Job said this. And Job said, I am clean without transgression. He had previously said this. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasion against me. He counteth me for his enemy. Well, God had not counted Job for his enemy. God, God was not finding occasion against him. This was just the situation. So Elihu is trying to straighten the record out. And he says, he putteth my feet in the stocks, he maketh all, all my paths. And so then Elihu, in verse 12, says, Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? He says, Job, why do you strive against God? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. God does not have to explain to us anything that he does. God does God is sovereign in his action and actions and in his dealings with man. And every time that we see something that we can't understand and we say, why did this happen or why did that happen? God does not have to stop and explain it to us because he has a divine purpose in it all. If we can but see that there's a purpose for everything under the sun that God has uh, in his providential dealings done with mankind and in every circumstance, in every situation. And he's able to bring good out of the worst of circumstances and tragedies. He's able to bring a blessing out of things that we don't understand how he can be, how this can be a blessing. Uh, in the case of Job, think of Job. Look all, all, of all the things that he had lost, and yet God is going to bless Job. The Bible says twice as much at the end of his life as he did at the beginning. He's going to give him blessings. At the end, and he doesn't understand why he has to go through all these trials. You know, Peter says, if need be, though now for a season, if need be. Listen carefully. First Peter 1, I believe it's verse 6. Though now for a season, if need be, that the trial of your faith, being much that you're in great... First he says that you're in great heaviness through manifold temptations. And then he says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold... You say, I like precious things. He says, the trial of your faith is much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be uh, tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. So, sometimes there is a, the reward at the end that we do not see when we're going through the trials. Job was going through the trials and he didn't understand it. Elihu says, 
why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth no account, not account of it, of any of his matters. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. He's telling Job that God speaks to man, and he's not so reluctant to speak the second time. He speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. He's saying, Job, God has spoken once and again. It doesn't mean just two times either. Uh, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, he speaks inwardly in the night seasons. He speaks in dreams and visions of the night. Not so much so in that way today, because this takes us back to the days of Abraham. Job could really be placed, and we gave you that in our last lesson, I believe, uh, where it would be placed in the book of Genesis somewhere in the time of Abraham because we had things that were brought out uh, as to uh, when Elihu began to speak and it placed him in that particular time, the people that were named. So we find that that was in the early, early days in the book of Genesis. And God spake to Abraham in a vision, remember? God spake to Abraham and God spake to Noah and God spake to the, the patriarchs. And so he says he speaketh and now he speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? Basically, it doesn't mean that God cannot impress our hearts to obey certain things that his word has taught us to do. It doesn't mean that he cannot give us inward spiritual guidance by his Holy Spirit. But basically, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, now listen, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son or in his Son. And so we have now the complete Word of God, and we have Christ that has come on the scene, and He's lived and died and gone back to heaven, and He left us His full revelation. So now God speaks to us through His Word. Uh, in fact, we'll find that Job says, I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. Notice, he says, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream and a vision... Of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, and slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instructions, instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose, and hide pride from man. He wants to withdraw us from that evil purpose, or from the wrong purpose in our lives. And, and, and hide pride from man. The pride is the worst thing that can happen to us. And so he wants to remove that from us. And in his inward dealings, these are, this, these are God's dealings inwardly with man. He wants to deal with us to the extent that he will change our purpose and withdraw us from any wrong purpose and hide pride from man. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before, the fall, before a fall. I did have some things... Just in the back of my other Bible about pride. But we know that pride is not good, is it? He keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Look at that. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. He chasteneth also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. In other words, now he's dealing outwardly. So that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. In other words, God in his chastening with us sometimes helps us not to even desire the most wonderful of the foods that we've enjoyed. You can become so sick that food is not even appetizing to you. You have no appetite for it. God not only gives us the food to satisfy us, but he gives us the appetite to desire the food and to want to eat the things that we have before us. 
And uh, so he says that his, his uh, life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were, were not stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near into the grave and his life to the destroyers. Man can come so low that all of these things will happen to him as God chastens. And then it says, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand to show unto man his uprightness. Now then, as far as Job was concerned, Elihu was that messenger. But as far as the one among 10,000, we find that it may have been pointing later on to Jesus or to the one and only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There are so many things that are said in the next few verses that they cannot be confined just to the situation with, with Elihu and Job because it embraces a far greater mediation and a far greater ransom and a far greater regeneration and a far greater fellowship than we have right here. And the next three verses will show us something. This is a definite message as far as Elihu unto Job. But then we find in that definite message certain uh, fundamental things that are given us. The man of God has a definite message to give. He says, If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, that is, to show man God's uprightness. God is upright, and man is a sinner. In verse 24, we have the thought of redemption. Then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. If you have a marginal reference, it says an atonement. I'm sure that all this cannot be fulfilled just basically as far as Job and, or Elihu and Job is concerned. It has to embrace a far greater thought, redemption. I have found a ransom. And we know that God has found a ransom through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And that there is deliverance. He says, I'll deliver him from going down into the pit. And the real deliverance or the redemption that we're speaking about is through Jesus Christ. And then... As a result of that, in verse 25, it says, His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. This would be wonderful if it was true for Job, wouldn't it? Because Job was smitten from the top of his head to the sole of his feet with sore boils. He took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself with all or scrape off the sores of his body. What a horrible condition to be in physically. And yet, he says, Job, if God finds a ransom... Your flesh shall be fresher than a child's, and he re shall return to the days of his youth. We know that this speaks of regeneration in figurative language. So when, when a person that is saved is cleansed, he becomes fresh uh, in the sight of God and clean in the sight of God and pure in the sight of God. He becomes renewed. Remember Naaman the leper? Naaman, what happened to him? That's exactly. Look in the book of Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 5. When Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman, verse 10, Go wash thyself, wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out unto me and, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Remember Naaman, he said, Naaman was thinking. That's Second Kings chapter 5, verse 10 we begin reading. He said, he thought that surely Elisha would just come out. Elisha sent his servant and told him to go and wash in Jordan. He didn't even go out there. Elisha, the man of God, he sent his servant and told Naaman to go out and wash down and wash in Jordan. And Naaman says, I thought, you know, he said, I thought this is the way my healing would come about. 
I thought he would come out and just move his hand over the place and, uh, and I would be restored from my leprosy. He thought this would be the answer to his need. You know, every man thinks he knows how God ought to do it. But we don't. God chooses his own way. But anyway, he told him that his flesh would come again and thou shalt be clean. And he says, he will surely come to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover me. Are not Abana and Farfar, uh, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman says, this won't do. He says, I've got clear water over where I came from, and he wants me to go and wash in Jordan. Dip myself in this old muddy Jordan seven times. And he says this, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if, a prophet, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, he, remember he was a mighty man, he was a man of valor, he was a man that could do most any great thing. He says, uh, Wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Why can't you do this little thing? You know what it was? Much in relation to what we find Elihu warning Job about, he says, uh, that he may remove pride from man to keep him from going down into the pit. And Naaman was still filled with pride, and he didn't want to do what the servant had told him to do. Follow it on down. Notice. Then, in verse 14, then went he down. He not only went down into Jordan, but he went down from his pride. And dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. That's that renewal we were, were speaking about over here in the book of Job. Isn't that what Elihu said in chapter 33, verse 25? His, his flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. In verse 24, we have uh, redemption or deliverance by a ransom. In verse 25, we have regeneration. Regeneration. And in verse 26, we have fellowship. Look at verse 26. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy, for he, he will render unto man his righteousness. Isn't that a pretty good uh, uh, example of what happens to you and I? We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. We're regenerated, and we have a new, clean beginning of life. And then what do we have fellowship with God, and we behold his face with joy, and we'll pray unto God? And God will be favorable unto him. That's exactly the process all of us need to go through. Redemption, regeneration, and fellowship. After redemption and regeneration comes our privilege of praying and rejoicing in the favor of God. Remember, John says, These things have I written unto you, that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And so we find that this is the order that's given here. I want you to pick up with verse uh, 27. He looketh upon men, and if any say I have sinned and perverted that which was right and pro it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going, down, going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Look, God looks upon men, and if any man will confess his sins, if he'll say I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. And my, how true that is. When men sin and pervert that which is right, it does not profit. It doesn't do any good. And he says, if they'll confess this, it says, he will deliver his soul from going down into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Jesus says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then in verse 29, 
Elihu continues and he says, Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. Oftentimes. You know what he's saying? Twice and thrice, or time and again, with man. To bring back his soul from a pit, to be enlightened with the light uh, of the living. And he says, Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me. Hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. He says, Job, I want to justify you, but I want you to realize that God has provided the ransom. He's provided the, the, uh, the uh, regeneration, and he's provided the fellowship, and you'll only find it in God. And you won't find it, Job, in trying to justify yourself. Remember, it says over in the Gospels that they justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. Now, what did they do? In other words, they believed what John preached, and in doing so, they justified God. They obeyed the, the, the message that was given to them. You know how you justify God? Being obedient to God and doing what He says. And then you justify God. You're saying God is just in giving me the information and, and giving me the directions and I uh, submit to His will and therefore uh, you justify God. Remember when David sinned. Psalm 51, he says, That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. And before that he said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight. Then he says, that thou mightest be justified. Because Job's, I mean, David says, I have sinned and God is justified in condemning me. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. That's in Psalm 51. That's uh, David's prayer after he had sinned. And it begins, he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And he says, uh, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Well, he sinned against Uriah, and he sinned against Bathsheba, and he sinned against his family because he brought judgment, the sword of judgment upon all them. But he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He said, at one time, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And he tells all of this, and then he says, when all this happens, when he's purged and cleansed, he says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted into thee. As long as we're wrong with God, and not clean before God, and not justified before God, and not uh, confessed up before God, so to speak, and not in fellowship with God, we're very little use in his service. And that's what uh, David was saying. Then will I teach transgressors thy way. Now then, back to this. In 33, verse 32. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me. Hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. Evidently, Job had another opportunity to speak, and he didn't say anything. Furthermore, Elihu, that's chapter 34, answered and said, look at this. Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, ye, ye that have knowledge. I'm sure that at this time, Elihu was including not only Job in his speech, but he was including these three friends that had tried to, to condemn Job. And he says, you fellows need to listen up a bit too. He says, uh, hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, ye, ye that have knowledge. He's speaking to them in the sense that they profess to be wise and have knowledge. And he says, now I want you to listen. He says, for the ear trieth words as the mouth tasteth meat. He says, 
you have something about hearing that tests the words as the palate or the mouth tastes your food. You say, well, I don't like that. That doesn't taste good. Well, your ear tries the words, too. You say, I don't like to hear that even though. And, and he's telling these fellows that what he heard of them didn't set very well either. And he's, he's also saying that when you hear the truth, you test it out in your heart as well as just with your ears. Remember, Jesus spoke of those that he said, hearing they shall not hear and understanding they shall not understand, lest they be converted and I should heal them. And so uh, there are many people that hear with their ears that do not hear with their heart. And so we need to open our hearts to God's word as well as our ears to God's word. Just hearing outwardly is of very little value. We need to taste it and see if it is good. Just like when we taste something, we can tell whether it's uh, tasteful and, uh, to, and satisfying to our palate. And we need to hear words that are satisfying and that are meaningful to, to our hearts. Verse 4 says, Let us choose uh, to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. You need to be able to discern whether it's the truth or not. See that? Let us choose to, to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, now he's quoting Job again. For Job has said, I am righteous and God hath taken away my judgment. Now God, he, God hadn't taken away his judgment. Job still did claim to be righteous. And Job was a perfect and an upright man by God's testimony. But finally Job got to the place that he thought he was so good that he could stand in the place before God, and God had taken away my judgment. He could not complain against God, and that was his big mistake. His three friends has, had misjudged him, and it does well for us to remind again that his three friends condemned him on every side. One says, Job, I've seen, and this doesn't happen to men unless they're sinners, the voice of the experience. Another one says, well, it's been known that this is the way it's always been that sinners have been judged. Another one, the voice of legalism says, uh, Job, he says, God is, is, is uh, just in dealing with sinners, and because you must be a great sinner, you haven't got half of what you deserve. Now, all of this didn't set well with Elihu. And he said to Job, he says, Job, for Job has said, I am righteous, and God has taken away my judgment. Then he's not only condemning the way that his friends spoke to him, but he's saying, Job, now listen, though they were wrong in what they said, he's saying, also, you're, you're just a little bit on the wrong side by claiming that God is, is not dealing right with you. So when we stand in God's presence, it's a different story, isn't it? In verse 6, he says, Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. He's still continuing to tell what Job said. Now, verse 7, What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water, which goeth in company with the workers of iniquity, and walketh with the wicked? For he has said, It profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. To deny God's righteousness and to deny God's righteous judgments, he was as much as walking along with the wicked or agreeing with the wicked. That's what Job was doing in, in saying a lot of things he said. Do you understand what we're talking about? That when we do the same things that the wicked do, we're really walking along with them, doing much the same thing. We're having fellowship with them in a sense. Let me read in the book of Second John. The book of Second John, in verse 8, it says, Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come, now here, verse 10 and 11. 
If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. When you take the side of the, of the cults or the wicked, it says, For he that biddeth him God speak is partaker of his evil deeds. This makes you a partaker of their evil work. And so Elihu was saying to Job, because you've done what the wicked do to deny God's righteous judgments, you're a partaker with them in this evil. Look at verse 8. Back in our text, always hold your place where we're studying. Job 34. He says, Which goeth in the company with the workers of iniquity, and walketh with wicked men. For he hath said, It profiteth a man nothing, that he should delight himself with God. He says, Job, you put your place, uh, your, you put yourself in the place of going in company with the workers of iniquity by the way you have acted about God's ju- uh, righteous judgments. Well, Job wouldn't want to be counted walking with the with the wicked, would he? But he's trying to wake Job up and get him to realize that when he takes the side of the wicked, that's what they're doing. In verse 10, it says, Therefore hearken unto me, you men of understanding. Now he comes back at least to Job and to his three friends. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. God does that which is right. And they hadn't given God credit for being able to deal rightly. Verse 11, For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. So God is going to bring judgment according to God's righteous judgments. Let's turn to, if you will, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 2. I want to read something for you. Verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? In other words, he says, we're all going to give an account. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, tracest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. And so he, pl- he plainly says that God is righteous in his judgments. And that's what Elihu is trying to tell Job, that God does not deal uh, unrighteously with him or with anyone. Job 34, verse 12. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. He's righteous in his judgment. Who hath given him, who hath given him a charge over the earth? Or who hath disposed the whole world? In other words, did, did someone give God this place of being who he is, almighty, in charge over all the earth, and, and sovereign uni- uh, ruler of the universe? Did, God give, did anyone give God this place, or did he have it of himself? Man didn't give this place to God, did he? And certainly, if God is, control, uh, is in control of the whole universe, and over man and everything, it wouldn't be like God to pervert judgment, to to be unjust in his dealings with all of his creation. Look in verse 14 and 15. I've always marveled at these two verses. If he set his heart upon man... Now listen, if God wanted to to really get down to bringing judgment. If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again unto dust. You see the impact of that verse? 
everything lives by the breath of God. And if God would take away his breath, look, his spirit and his breath, gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, he says, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again unto dust. Remember, God made man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now listen carefully. If God, God exhaled, he breathed out and into man and he breathed out and gave life. And if God would just inhale everything and die. Can you imagine that? If God would just take back his spirit and his breath, everything in this world would cease to be. And do we wonder at his might and his power? It's only by the spirit and breath of God that man is, lives. If he set his heart upon man, look at that again. If he gather unto himself, if God gathers unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together. And man shall turn again unto dust. That's what happens on an individual basis when God takes away his spirit and his breath from an individual. We die. James says the body without the spirit is what? Dead. So is faith without works is dead also. That means that if a man really has genuine faith, he has something to go along with it. And he says, so you see then. He says, if you want to see a man's uh, faith, you see, see, we see it by what he does. We know that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace through faith. But true, grace, true faith will produce works. You read that passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it says, now listen carefully, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. And it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And this is the outcome of genuine faith. And so you need to bring the two together and understand that we're saved by grace. And you're not any more saved by any one work that you do. But the works come as a result of genuine faith. And it proves, it shows, it's the outward sign of the inward faith that we possess. That's what James was saying. He says, you show me your faith uh, without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith by the outward evidence of it. And that's where a lot of people get these two things crossways and they say they contradict each other. They don't contradict each other. They rather explain each other. All right. If he set his heart upon man, if he gathered himself, his flesh, uh, his uh, spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again to dust. I see our time is gone. I didn't know it was. We'll pick up with verse 16 in our next lesson. And there's some Wonderful things that we'll study from that verse on down through chapter 35 and as we go on. And then we'll find that God speaks to Job in chapter uh, 38, I believe it is. Chapter 38, verse, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. And he starts talking to Job and then he really begins to listen. See, he gave some ear to his three friends and they didn't have the answer to Job's problem. Elihu begins to enlighten him a little bit, and then when God speaks to him, he says, yeah, now I get the message. That's the way it works in life, isn't it? We have people who come along and condemn and figure out all the answers to all of our situations.